when COVID hit, he completely pivoted his company. And that shows you the strength of the founder, his leadership, and how he is willing to adjust and react to market situation. And then they started playing in a market that I was very excited about. You are listening to The Sure Shot Entrepreneur, a podcast for founders with ambitious ideas. Venture capital investors and other early believers tell you relatable, insightful, and authentic stories to help you realize your vision. Welcome to The Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I'm here with Kush Srivastava, an active angel investor who wears many hats. He has been in the Silicon Valley for more than a decade. He's worked at large companies. He's worked at startups, started companies, and has been an investor in many startups. Let's talk to him to find out how he makes investments. Kush, welcome to the SureShot Entrepreneur. Thank you, Gopi. Really appreciate you having me over here. Tell us about yourself, starting with your childhood, where you grew up. Oh, that's a great question. I grew up in small town India in the state of Uttar Pradesh or UP, in a city called Jhansi. Jhansi moonlighted because that is where the revolt against the British started in India. It's an historic town, small town by compared to the bigger cities that most people in US will know about, such as Delhi and Mumbai. Uh, my formative years were learning how to speak English. My mom was a school teacher and she ensured that I have a good education instead of sending me to the school that she used to teach in. She sent me to a Catholic school and her point of view was that as long as I learn English, get exposed to technology, I'll be fine. Thanks to my mom's foresight and my mom and dad's ability to ensuring that they keep me in check because I was a really wild kid, I turned out okay. I went to school in Jhansi and lived there for about 17 years of my life. I even started my first company there. Gopi, I think you will also appreciate that living in India when internet came and we were all using dial-ups to log in, it was a great equalizer for all of us because now you are able to access the information that was otherwise so hard to get. I really felt empowered and I quickly coached myself to learn how to code. When I say code, I mean write very poor code, HTML3 and HTML4 standards that were just emerging. But that was enough for me to go to these forums and randomly post that, hey, I can build a web page for you or I can build a shopping cart application for you. And thanks to PayPal, start getting some money. Figuring out how to get the money back to India was actually a big challenge. I don't think I quite successfully ever solved that. But it was pretty amazing that a kid in one of a really small town in India can go online, talk to people from all over the world, and get exposed to a lot of different cultures, understand what problems exist, and try to solve them. For my generation, growing back in India, internet came to be one of the best things ever. And especially, I'm grateful that I got access to internet in my formative years. It may sound like something that we all take for granted, right? We run around with internet on 10 devices now. But in those early days, it was really, really transformational. I don't think my son is ever going to appreciate how amazing internet was, how difficult it was to stay locked in with the dial-ups. Yeah, the internet has really equalized access to information to people all over the world. I remember signing up to Hotmail. I was probably one of the first users in 1995. 
and having access to email and being able to message people across the world and get replies in minutes that was very different from any other form of communication we had experienced how did you translate all of that experience in india and then move to silicon valley yeah i started a company and i thought it was the coolest name for a company ever we called my not a real company it was just a website it used to be called geek for tech i think that's the best name a company can have but i was 13 14 years old that sounded really clever i did a little bit of coding here and there hired a few people and things were going well but like every good indian kid i had to go to college in hindsight i thought that i probably don't need a degree in engineering so i need to learn how business operates learn about finances accounting and all that good stuff so i chose to go to get a degree in commerce and as i was going through school you get exposed to companies that come for campus placements and i got my first job at google i was extremely lucky to get a job at google it was definitely my dream company i did some of my best work when i worked for google and met some of the most incredible and smart people during the 8 years that i spent there the first 4 years of my career i was in india working on google adwords ads monetization trying to sell four lines of ad text that we are all familiar with on google later i worked on youtube where i joined the marketing team and led a campaign for indian premier league one of the most popular cricket tournaments in the world we live streamed it on youtube i moved to us in 2011 for a opportunity that i just couldn't pass it was to build a new content store for the android platform and google by and large it was going to be at that time the first app store where you can do everything on the cloud and it syncs people will probably forget that but during those days you have to sync your music you have to connect itunes to your iphone and for us to build something that can just sync over the cloud at that point of time and be first in the market it was pretty revolutionary i came on as a head of apps and games product marketing globally ran some of my favorite campaigns in that role i got exposed to pretty much all the popular apps and games that you and we would have had access to and we led the transition from a product called android market to what the world knows today as google play After that I moved on to running partnership marketing and a few other things within the same group as I was thinking about what the next evolution of our industry in mobile is going to be one of the problem that started bothering me was that of instead of having access to data which used to be a good thing we almost had access to too much data how do you decide what app should i use because there are so many apps of the same type or what game should i play which was my problem So suppose you and me both like a zombie game like we like that genre like which zombie game should i recommend to gopi versus which zombie game should i recommend to kush or somebody else was a huge problem there wasn't even at google or uh, app store or uh, google play search and discovery wasn't as refined as it is today I started following a few researchers and a professor at Stanford and met a CTO of a tech incubator who were going to start a company and joined them in 2014 to build this incredible algorithm which are going to be explain why I am recommending something to you and that what some people call it today explainable AI was incredible we sold that company to Pinterest about 
seven or eight months later of founding it to Pinterest. And that became the foundational pieces of Pinterest, MI and AI capabilities and a lot of their ads infrastructure. A large part of the team, I think, is still there. I didn't join Pinterest. I was compelled to carry on with my entrepreneurship journey. So I started another company in the legal tech space. This is something that I think you will relate to as well. When you meet your friends in the valley and you're sitting at a dinner table and suppose there are six people, between the six people, you have like 10 Ivy school degrees. Collectively, they are so wrong about visa laws or how to get a green card. And these are common immigrant conversations that you have. Hey, so I'm switching my job. How do I transfer my H&B? I'm going through my naturalization process. What should I do? I'm going to apply for a green card. What about my spouse? We all talk about these conversations. And I thought collectively, no one really knew the right answers. So during my last startup, we had built a product graph. I attempted to build a legal graph that can explain, given your context, what should be the right solution. We also dabbled with smart contracts at that point of time because blockchain was emerging to understand, can I put something on a decentralized ecosystem and see what kind of responses I'm going to get. The startup didn't do as well, but through that startup, I got introduced to Stanford Law School, joined them as a fellow and researched a lot on smart contract, blockchain, law and policy. During that time, I also got involved and connected with my Google roots and found a community of ex-Googlers who are now building companies outside of Google. And we started supporting each other. Supporting each other initially was just in terms of help and advice, reviewing pitch decks connecting each other with different venture capital companies and investors that we knew. Uh, but very soon we realized that we have to take a bet on ourselves. We can invest in each other. So I co-founded a syndicate and that was my foray into angel investing. As we sit today, that syndicate has made about 40 plus investments, had had many exits. Some companies, which I'm delighted about, were acquired back by Google. And collectively, they have market cap well north of a few billion dollars. Some of the best companies came out of the Google system. We were just lucky enough to play a small part in their success. We do about 300 plus events every year. We organized Demo Day just yesterday. We did our Demo Day on blockchain. And the goal really was to create an index of the smartest Googlers and who are going to just invest in each other. And the belief was that we're going to end up creating some of the greatest companies the world has ever seen. Outside of that, Gopi, you and me started INSEAD, which is our business school angel syndicate or angel group in the US. That exposed me to a whole different variety of startups, very different than the ones that I saw from Google, which were largely focused on tech. With INSEAD, there were startups that were focused on fashion and clothing, transportation, and some really, really cool stuff that has nothing to do with what we do in the Silicon Valley. And that was a great exposure to learn about other industries. After that, I joined Verizon through their acquisition of Yahoo. Most recently, I was the managing director at Verizon and run PNL of a group called Yahoo Small Business, which is pretty amazing because the first GM of that unit was Jeff Ralston, who's like a demigod in my opinion, the CEO of Y Combinator. I'm so glad that I could step in as a footstep and do some meaningful work while I was at Verizon. You have had a colorful career over the years, starting at the age of 14 when you first started your first business. And then you worked at large companies, and then you started angel investment groups like the Zoogler Group and the NCI Angels along with me. 
more recently you were at Yahoo Small Business. Before we jump into the angel side of things, Yahoo Small Business was also the division that was originally founded by Paul Graham and sold to Yahoo, and it was via web. That's an important milestone in the journey of Silicon Valley. Absolutely. That is what seduced me to accept the job offer. For most people, it's like the graveyard of internet brands. But for me, it was the history that I grew up with. Paul G., when he created ViaWeb, that was really the first time it became easier for small and medium businesses to create an e-commerce store. It was Shopify way before. Like imagine Shopify 10 years before Shopify was even born. He was just way ahead of his time, of course. And then through a combination of some other very incredible internet brands like GeoCities, ViaWeb, and a few other bits and pieces of the Yahoo infrastructure. And we must also pay a huge homage to Yahoo for building some of the formative technologies that we now know as the big data industry. They did some incredible research back in the day, which allowed not just like Yahoo to flourish, but by and large the internet to scale. So Jeff pulled this together in 2003 and the business was growing and it continued to grow until 2010, 11. And then it was in a state of decline. Yahoo at that point of time had transformed itself into being a media company. I joined Verizon, who had then acquired uh, Yahoo in 2017 or 2018. And my charter was to turn the business around. We did that. Last year, the business grew. And this was the first time in a decade the business grew really, really well. So I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the team. We have some of the best people who work at YSB and Verizon, including Iravati, who you happen to know. Yeah, Yahoo is an iconic brand in tech. It's great to see that the original story of ViaWeb still thrives at Yahoo in the form of Yahoo Small Business. Congratulations. Thank you. And I have to tell you that the customer loyalty that I've seen for Yahoo Small Business products is just incredible. I have never felt that sense of loyalty. When I talk to some of our customers, it feels like I'm talking to my family members. I really feel bad if I'm not able to deliver on what their expectations are. It really feels like that I'm letting my brother or my mom or my sister down. That is this incredible brand loyalty and a huge testament to, of course, the great leaders like Paul Graham and Jeff Rawlston on building this business unit the way they did, that it stood the test of time and still is a very profitable business and is back to growth. Now I want to switch to the angel investment side of your career You've always had very, very busy jobs. Turning around Yahoo Small Business is not an easy job. And you accomplished it in the middle of a pandemic. I can only imagine how busy you may have been. Despite that, you make time for angel investments. And you've done that, or you've made many, many angel investments over the years. What is really exciting for you in angel investments? Why do you invest in startups? I think, first, I'm not very busy. I just happened or got lucky by hiring some of the best people I can. That gives me a lot of time to focus on things I absolutely enjoy. One thing that I enjoy the most is looking at a very ambiguous market and looking at certain ideas and trying to co-imagine with the founders on what the future will look like. It's a three-step process. Whoever is starting a company, and especially you do a lot of seed investments, so you know this better than most people, which is whenever a founder talks to you, all they're trying to tell you is, hey, I'm going to try to do this. The world looks like this today. I'm going to solve some of the problems with this company that I'm building. And third step, the world is going to look different today. 
I really get excited about that simplistic notion of someone taking a bet on building something new and reimagining what a certain sector of the industry discipline vertical is going to look like after they introduce their product. What I enjoy more is being able to offer some of the learnings I had both as a startup founder and as an operator in large companies to help them with things like how they should better think about certain things, how they should look at organization designs, hiring, and really what the next step should be. If I'm able to think through step one, step two, and step three together with them, that's a good sign that I want to invest in that company as an angel and be part of them. If I'm not able to add value, I am not as excited. It's a le- Even though I feel that I'll try to have a non-binary relationship and connect them with someone else who's smarter than me or have more experience in that particular industry. But yeah, that's my basis of investing and what excites me, just looking at an ambiguous problem and reimagining the world with the co-founders and being able to offer certain guidance, which I think can uniquely help them cut through some steps or expedite time to market in some way, shape or form. How many angel investments have you made so far? Yeah, a lot. I think uh, two dozen plus that I remember. I've also done very small angel investments. So yeah, two dozen is a good number that I've personally been involved with very well. And through syndicates, I think there'll be about 50 plus investments that we have done. What do you look for in angel investments? What stage do you like to invest in? What do you look for in these entrepreneurs? So with Syndicate, like the Zoogla Syndicate, we are a very good co-investor. We really like to de-risk because we are all doing this part-time. I was very conscious of not drafting the entire investment memo ourselves. And I realized that there are tons of investors in the Valley who are much better at investing than us. So we started co-investing with large investors. And we have co-invested with the top brands from A16Z, Excel, Kleiner, Sequoias, to smaller funds and like top angel investors that often featured on the Midas list uh, in different business magazines. So that thesis was uh, for specifically for Zooglas. Well, personally, the companies uh, that I get excited about uh, or where I want to invest a lot of my time directly, uh, whether it's through Zoogla Syndicate, NCR Angels, or my own investment, the first and foremost is the people. What's the vibe? Like, am I gelling with him? Do I agree with what he's saying? So one of my favorite investments has been in a company called Rally Matrix, which some of our friends also invested in and they've done really well. The story is so amazing. This guy who's a Stanford PhD starts talking to me about about fractured mechanics, like speckle recognition that I've never even heard of in my life. Then he wants to build a company that can do stress defect monitoring and save billions of dollars of company who may otherwise lose it if they have to do recalls. My mind is racing at 100 miles an hour. I said, oh, why? This seems to be such a non-trivial problem. Why someone else hasn't solved it? And I looked into it for two days. I kept talking back and forth to the founder. And every time I spoke with him, I got more excited. So that's the first sign. How excited are you about a certain industry and the people that you're going to invest in? The second step is, can you meaningfully impact, advise, and offer help? You're doing a little bit more than just signing a check, which is the easy part. I knew that I can help uh, structure Kimal Levi, the CEO and founder of this company, his thoughts a little bit, help him like refine the pitch deck, make some intros uh, to investors who are better than me, stronger than me, and the right people who will be able to like take him uh, in the direction where he should go, get him some customer development help, and then, of course, assign a small check. 
So those were more like checkboxes that I try to hit. But the most important thing is the people. I have invested in some companies with just meeting someone for the first 30 minutes just because I thought this guy or girl is super smart and they will just figure it out. I probably saw very clearly that I'll be able to offer them a little bit of help. But one of my most successful investments are usually where I spend time in getting to a point where the founder and me have the same belief and the same ideology and have a decent sense of what the journey looks like ahead of us. We can each play our role helping each other become better, me as an investor and the founder as the leader of the company. Because very soon, once you have the money, what are you going to do? You're going to hire how you design your organization, who your first hires are, where you're going to build the team, how you're going to get your first few customers. All those things are extremely crucial. And most angel investors who just like sit on the sidelines, as I did in the past, those investments tend not to work. But if you get a little bit more involved, A, you're going to have a much more profound impact on the startup. You will be much more gratified. And at the same time, I believe that you will de-risk your own investment. Not saying that you need to do the job of the founder. That's not the idea. You, you don't need to spend an obnoxious amount of time working on the startup, but you should be able to eliminate or at least like consider the scenario that you will be able to offer help and move the conversation forward whenever the founder reaches out to you. That is the key for me when I look at investments. Yeah, I remember having conversations with Kemal Levy, very spirited entrepreneur, as someone who specializes in something obscure that no one really <laughs> knows about. He's a specialist in fracture mechanics and non-destructive testing. These are not topics that typically come up in normal conversations. When you meet entrepreneurs like him, maybe you could give other examples also. What do you ask them? What are questions that are on your mind? What answers are you looking for? I think one of the questions that I started asking recently is, if you're not doing this, what would you be doing? There's no wrong or right answer here. Hey, here is where I, I can probably work at Google or like, I'll be doing this. But then I've seen most good entrepreneurs have such a clear view about what they're doing that they ask me back and saying, like, tell me what's better and I'll do that. That's a very profound thing to say. The questions that I usually ask is just try to filter their background, ask them about their beliefs, where they grew up, like why are they thinking about this problem, who else have they met? Some just boilerplate filter questions. But the idea is that through this small talk, just trying to see, do I gel with this person? Do we have the same worldview? When I do, like you start getting a little bit more tactical or strategic, whichever way you look at it, thinking about the business more holistically. And once you have those conversations about, okay, step one, the world is this, step two, the, I will do this, and the world is going to be different, that brings out a lot of emotion. That brings out a lot of incremental to leapfrog uh, ideas. And if I'm able to like get there and I'm able to like offer help, that's a strong filter for me to go ahead and write a check. The descriptions that you give sound quite daunting. It feels like they got one chance to impress you and they have to tell the story that resonates with you very quickly. If it doesn't, is there a second chance? Have you given entrepreneurs a second chance to tell their story and then invested in the company? Absolutely. Every person that I meet, I think I try to articulate it. Uh, I try to have a non-binary relationship with the founder. First and foremost, I think of myself as the cheerleader of the startup ecosystem. I'll give you a quick story about one of our friends, Tommaso. He's founder of a company called Toka. 
just an incredible guy. He's done significant amount of work in private equity and has turned around many companies. He originally had this idea around Toka to kind of premise it on like, hey, it can be a replacement for business cards at somewhat uh, of a B2B slash B2C play. So I loved, loved, loved Tomaso. I loved his team, but I didn't quite get there with him on the idea. That said, when COVID hit, he completely pivoted his company. And that shows you the strength of the founder, his leadership, and how he is willing to adjust and react to market situation. And then they started playing in a market that I was very excited about. They built an event management platform. I fully trust in Tomaso's ability to drive up sales. He has the right expertise, the right contacts to scale the business even further. Then another person that I admire the most, Bob, he joined them. And it was a no-brainer. So it was easy for me to say no to Tomaso, even though he's a really, really smart person first time because I wasn't excited or there on the product market fit. But the second time during COVID, which is just last year, uh, when he pivoted his company to a business where I thought I will be able to like give meaningful feedback, I am excited about. It was very easy for me to get behind them and write a small check. Okay, that gives me a little bit of hope here that there is a second chance and perhaps even a third chance when the right business and the right market appears. Yeah, startup founders shouldn't think of angel investors as kingmakers. We are not. We don't read tea leaves. Good angel investors will be excited about the founder and the idea. That's what I try to do. If I'm not excited about either one, I usually won't invest. But that doesn't mean that you can't leverage the expertise or be shy about asking more questions. Don't think of it as a binary relationship, whether you'll get a yes or you'll get a no. Silicon Valley is a very special place. And what makes it special is that failure is celebrated. No is never no. And it can turn to yes. Like in the example of Toka that I gave you, more often than not, founders should realize that investors more than them have a serious FOMO, which is fear of missing out. If you like the angel investor or any other investor, and even if they don't invest, but you think they can add value, don't be shy to ask them for time and feedback. They will very likely invest time in you and maintain the relationship. Roughly how many investments do you make in a year? If you're taking meetings, and especially if you're taking follow-up meetings with founders you may have said no to previously, I really like the way you phrased it, no is never really a no. It may be a beginning of a yes. How do you make time for entrepreneurs and how many investments do you make per year, roughly? I don't have a target in mind. I, I tried this and I missed investing in this incredible company based out of India called Wahan. And I'm sorry to the founders, I should have invested. They're great people. Because I was trying out that, hey, I'm going to try to hit 12 companies that year and my check size is going to be small. But I don't think that's the right framework. You should invest based on whatever liquidity is available to you. You should try to invest in whatever companies that you're excited about. Then I used to be more aggressive about building a portfolio when I was early on investing. But right now, I just want to work with the best founders of probably like four or five investments a year and then a few with the syndicates. Well, thank you for candidly sharing the missed opportunity story. Uh, That's very authentic. When things don't go well, angel investment is very risky and it's often possible that startup investments don't go well. What do you do? Try to find a soft landing or a graceful exit for the founders. As an angel investor, I expect to lose most of my money. 
I also expect that many startups are not going to succeed. Our job is to just ensure that we de-risk as much as possible and give our portfolio or the investment that we have done a chance to succeed. But it does not guarantee that everything is going to work out. Usually, I try to have a very candid conversation with the entrepreneur, try to see what's the best landing spot I can get for them and therefore their team, which could be as simple as sending out email to different corporate ventures or uh, corp dev teams uh, and seeing if they're interested in talent acquisition, interested in like buying out certain assets. If that doesn't happen, just ensure that there is a legal closure. What I absolutely don't like is these limbo companies. They're not good for the founders. They're not good for the investors where uh, the entity is alive, but there is no real work being done. The founder ends up doing some side hustles. In those cases, I try to find conversations like, let's put a date to it and what we are going to change by that date. If it doesn't change, let's shut down the entity. At least we'll get tax right off on that. (laughs) But otherwise, for most people that I invest in, they're extremely sharp people and are good hires. So they end up figuring out the next steps. In many cases, they start another company. And in many cases, I have doubled down on the next idea with them. Well, this is great. I'm glad that you talked about failures. And sometimes outcomes are not exactly how we expected. But failure is not a ding on your resume in Silicon Valley, especially. It's good to have that experience, learn from the experience and bounce back. I want to switch to the next part of our conversation and ask you about your community involvement. Is there a nonprofit organization you are passionate about and which one? Absolutely. There's a nonprofit organization based out of India called Guardian of Dreams that is started by a dear friend of mine called Gloria. She used to work at Google. She left her job to work for another NGO called Make a Difference and made it one of the most successful NGOs in India. And then about a few years ago, started Guardian of Dreams, in which she picks out these amazing programs that are custom curated for kids in different cities in India. And she tries to be the guardian of their dreams, which is like, what do you want to do? What do you want to become? Can I fund your education in some way? And be there like a big sister and angel to them. I absolutely admire that someone who had soft cushion job in arguably one of the best and most sought after companies in the world, leaves that company to do something as meaningful and change lives for children who then go on to create more opportunities for themselves as well as their families and friends. So I think what she's doing is absolutely incredible. And I'm a big supporter of Guardian of Dreams. GoDreams.org. Please donate if you can. Kush, thank you very much for sharing a lot of interesting stories from your experiences through your career and through your angel investments. And you've touched on many topics that are often not talked about, including some failure stories on how to handle them. Thank you very much for sharing your stories. I appreciate you having me, Gopi. Thank you for listening to The Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed listening to real-life stories about early believers supporting ambitious entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to the podcast and post a review. Your comments will help other entrepreneurs find this podcast. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.